0: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom will deliver his annual State of the State address from Sacramento later today. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports it will not be a traditional speech. The the state-of-the-state speech is typically a chance for governors to lay out their big plans for the year ahead. But with Ukraine dominating the headlines and the state transitioning its COVID response from emergency to a kind of new normal, the governor's address is likely to be broad brushstrokes on where the state is heading. California's fiscal health is solid, and the state clearly is emerging from the pandemic, so Newsom will likely push back on the conservative narrative that the state is overcome with crime, homelessness, and mismanagement. The governor may also focus on new initiatives, like state-funded local care courts, to compel unhoused people with mental illness and addiction problems into treatment. After surviving a recall attempt last year, Newsom is up for re-election in November, but so far faces only token opposition. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. A bill introduced in the state legislature would prohibit police from matching DNA from rape survivors to unrelated crimes. KQED's Alex Emsley reports the legislation follows a scandal in the San Francisco Police Department.
2: Prosecutors, forensic pathologists, and victims advocates across the nation were shocked to learn SFPD misused a rape victim's DNA to arrest her for burglary.
3: It was scary and actually quite chilling.
2: Adriana Caldera heads the YWCA in Silicon Valley.
3: It immediately made me concerned for survivors here in Santa Clara County.
2: State Senator Scott Weiner says what San Francisco police did wasn't illegal. There is nothing in state law preventing police departments from misusing this rape kit DNA. So we need to fill that gap and prohibit this practice. Weiner's bill also calls for the state to study creating more oversight for police crime labs. For the California Report, I'm Alex Emsley in Oakland.
0: A San Francisco supervisor says she's introducing a resolution supporting a campaign to allow young immigrants to legally work while they apply for humanitarian protections known as special immigrant juvenile or SIJ status. KQED's Farida Jovala Romero reports.
3: For immigrant youth to be eligible for SIJ status, a state court must first determine they were abused or neglected. These applicants, ages 16 to 21, often cross the border without parents. Because of visa backlogs and other delays, they typically wait several years to get a work permit in the U.S. That's according to a lawsuit calling on the Biden administration to speed up these work authorizations. One of the plaintiffs is René Gabriel Flores Merino.
2: My life is extremely difficult because I don't have a work permit.
3: Merino was granted SIJ status last year and enrolled in college, but he lives in a homeless shelter in Los Angeles.
4: I'm kind of worried of how I'm going to pay for transportation from going to school because I don't have any other way to earn any sort of income.
3: San Francisco supervisor Mirna Melgar is calling on U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to let these young immigrants work. We cannot open the doors to kids and at the same time deny them a way to feed themselves. USCIS did not return a request for comment. Yesterday, the agency issued new policies to make the SIJ process more efficient. Advocates welcome the changes, but say they're not enough. For the California Report, I'm Farida Jabbala-Romero.
0: The city of Los Angeles is suing agrochemical Titan Monsanto and two other companies, accusing them of polluting the city's waterways with polychlorinated biphenyls, or PCBs. City attorney Mike Fuhr announced the lawsuit yesterday, accusing the companies of knowing the chemicals would cause widespread contamination. PCBs can lead to a variety of ailments, including cancer, changes to the thyroid, and neurological problems. PCBs are not safe. They continue to drain into many waters here in Los Angeles. L.A. Harbor, Dominguez Channel, Machado Lake, Echo Park Lake, Marina del Rey, Bayona Creek. L.A.'s lawsuit is seeking repayment of the city's cost to address PCB contamination. Sea levels along the California coastline are expected to rise by a foot by 2050 and six or more feet by the end of the century. Now for the first time, 17 of the state's agencies have come together to plan for the climate impact. Here to tell us more about what the state plans to do to confront climate change along the coast is KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero. Thanks for joining us Ezra. Thanks for having me. This is really the first report of its kind in the way it engages state agencies from the Coastal Commission to Caltrans to even the California Department of Insurance. That seems pretty significant, is it? Yeah, Saul. It's a big deal because it's basically
4: signing on all the big state agencies to take climate change seriously. And not just drought and wildfire like those impacts we're experiencing right now, but sea level rise, which is a slow-moving disaster into the future, You know, we're talking about whole parts of cities underwater, contaminated sites, flooding places with toxins or highways and homes inundated with water. So these are big impacts for the state. Jen Eckerly is the deputy director of the California Ocean Protection Council, and she helped author this plan.
1: It's not a problem that's just affecting homeowners that live along the coast. It's going to affect all Californians. And so we really needed to create a plan that aligned state agency action um, and really set a model for how we're going to do this and work closely with local communities.
4: But the main criticism I heard is that while this plan says equity and social justice need to be at the heart of any plans around sea level rise, communities weren't consulted for this and very few people of color were even authors on this thing.
0: You know, Ezra, when, when I think of the California coastline, I think of like wealthier communities, right? Uh, Carmel, La Jolla, Malibu. Can you give me an example of a lower income community of color that is directly placed in jeopardy because of rising seas? One
4: of these places is Marin City in Marin County. It's just north of the Golden Gate Bridge near San Francisco. It's this black community right next to the water, next to an affluent community called Sausalito. You know, this area floods when it rains, and there are toxic sites there, and the community believes that water is already contaminated, and... The community is worried that as sea level rise continues and flooding becomes more persistent, people there will come into contact with toxic substances more often. The community there went to the county and asked for help, and they weren't given any. So the community's testing the wa- their water themselves. They want to find out what's in there. And they told me that if they weren't black, if they were white, they feel like they would have gotten help and they would have gotten
0: cleanup, and that's not happening right now. Hmm. You know, Ezra, here in California, we're having this ongoing conversation about uh, reparations for the historical wrongs of of slavery and its long-term impact is there something similar happening with with climate change and reparations and if so how might that work so Miss Margaret
4: Gordon, I talked to her. She's a longtime community advocate in West Oakland. That's a place where there's contaminated sites, there's a port, there's trucks there, and it's a place that's supposed to flood as sea levels rise. When it comes to the sea level rise work, Ms. Margaret told me that people should be paid for the work they're doing, right? These communities of color, these disadvantaged places, they're asked to put in hours and hours of work to think about these adaptation plans, and they want to be paid for that work. And that's one example of reparations in action. They also want to see people of color in every part of the process, from the engineers to planners to state leaders. Ms. Margaret Gordon said reparations should look like. Full-fledged partnerships and everything that they did around sea level rise. For every phase of a process, the impact of community, vulnerable people should have more than just a place. They have to be there. They must be there. What Ms. Margaret means is that we have spent generations devaluing people of color. And now they're in an especially vulnerable space because of climate change. So she says now is the time to permanently reorganize our priorities and put communities of
0: color at the forefront of how the state plans for climate impacts. All right, that is KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero. Ezra, thanks for joining us on the California Report. Thanks for having me.
3: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from
1: NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED.
2: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcasts too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's
0: donate.kqed.org/podcast. Let's turn to education. The San Diego Unified School District has a new superintendent. Dr. Lamont Jackson, who has been serving as superintendent on an interim basis for nearly a year, was confirmed by the district's Board of Education yesterday. Jackson is replacing Cindy Martin, who left the district to serve as U.S. Deputy Education Secretary under the Biden administration. California is investing billions of dollars in high-tech solutions to predict and respond to natural disasters. But residents in rural communities facing fires, floods, and winter storms are increasingly embracing an old-school technology, two-way radios. CAP Radio's Scott Rod reports from El Dorado County.
2: The Caldor Fire exploded on a hot August night last year, and Eileen Strangfeld's emergency radio fired up. Extreme
0: fire behavior is observed.
4: We had no idea just how fast it was spreading or how big it was when it started. So we all just sat up and monitored what was going on in the radio.
2: 69-year-old Strangfeld isn't a firefighter or in law enforcement, but she is a member of the El Dorado County Neighborhood Radio Watch Group. As climate change worsens and natural disasters increasingly threaten communities across the country, people are turning to amateur radio groups to receive timely, life-saving updates during emergencies. In rural areas, where internet and cell coverage can easily fail, these networks are proving essential. Strangfeld lives in Grizzly Flats, one of the first towns to be evacuated. Current mandatory evacuation orders have been issued for the following areas.
4: Grizzly Flat, Somerset. I've always had a to-go bag. Also, we took all of the important papers, the insurance papers, Medicare cards, the passports. We simply put in a binder and we left it in the car.
2: Strangfeld was always prepared to evacuate, but she credits the radio network for giving her enough notice to save irreplaceable belongings, especially mementos of her late husband, Ken.
4: He never bought me jewelry. He made it all. He uh, did lapidary work. And since he was gone, there was no way I would ever be able to replace my jewelry.
2: Her home, along with hundreds of others in Grizzly Flats, burned to the ground.
4: Okay, so I'm going to
2: send an alert, and you'll see what these radios do, I hope. Bob Hess helped start the El Dorado County Neighborhood Radio Watch three years ago. He's giving me a tutorial on how the equipment works. If this were a real event, this is what our folks would be hearing. I met him on a hilltop where they set up a radio repeater, which helps boost their signal for dozens of miles. The radio watch group launched after the 2018 campfire killed more than 80 people in Butte County. They acquire old radios off eBay. We'll buy these things like 100 at a time, clean them up, refurbish them, buy new batteries for them, And they're like brand new. The group has grown to about 350 members, but it faced some pushback at first. The general opinion uh, among law enforcement and uh, among the first responders was that we would create havoc in an emergency. Hess reassured them the group would only relay official emergency notifications and they would stay clear of radio frequencies used by police and firefighters. Now the group has several former first responders on its board. Radio watch networks like this are popping up around the country.
0: The pattern that we see is always in response to large-scale disasters or catastrophes.
2: Joe Ames is national chairman of Radio Relay International, a nonprofit that works with local radio clubs. In New England, interest usually spikes after a major snowstorm, in Gulf states after a hurricane, or in the Midwest after a tornado.
0: With so many amateur radio operators in the country, there are several hundred thousand at any given time, you have a good chance of contacting the authorities in case you need help.
2: Over the holidays, the El Dorado County Radio Watch Network activated once again. The same area that saw devastating fire endured a walloping winter storm. The group helped stranded residents get food and firewood, as many in the area lost power and cell service for more than 10 days. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rodd in El Dorado County.
0: And that is this edition of the California Report for Tuesday, March 8th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.
4: Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Personal capital helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement.
1: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book.
2: That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
3: Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
4: I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California.